It's Behind the Headlines on WLAWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. I am executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the websites 27East.com and SagHarborExpress.com. Uh, with me today is my co-host, as always, Bill Sutton, managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Couple of regulars, Denise Civiletti, who is editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Good to have you. Uh, Brian Cosgrove, a very popular host here on WLIWFM. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. I think that's fair to say. You're a popular host. Uh, okay. We like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, we have a newcomer this week. We have Brianne Weta, who is a staff writer at the Times Review Media Group. Hey, Brianne. Thanks for Hi. joining us. Of course, thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Good to have you. So there's really only one, well, actually two stories this week, I guess. But the big story, of course, is out of Albany and has an effect on all of us, which is that we have entered sort of a gray period now with uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, where uh, an impeachment is expected um, in the coming week. uh, And it's going to, you know, it's the, the big question is whether Mr. Cuomo may step down from office after the release of the report by uh, Letitia James, our attorney general. Uh, there's been no movement in that direction so far by the governor. Denise, I'm curious what your take is. This is this puts the state in a really untenable position for the foreseeable future. Right. I mean, we, we don't have uh, a real strong leadership at the top suddenly. We, we don't. And um, I, I think that it's a terrible I mean, the timing could not be worse for a state without leadership. Uh, you know, when you consider that the um, Delta variant is causing a surge that people believe people in the healthcare profession uh, believe will increase as you know, this is uh, an indoor transmitted virus and people believe it's going to, you know, tick up again. Uh, this fall, like it did last fall, except we're starting out now at a much higher place. If you look at the numbers, like the end of July this year versus end of July last year. Uh, and then last year in August, they went down again. In September, they bumped up a little bit, but you had like a, actually, no, they went down in September. They didn't bump up until October. Um, now we're on the rise. And so this this fall and winter, if the Delta variant surge continues, uh, it could, you know, things could get a lot worse. And so, you know, it's a time when obviously we need leadership and we need uh, not only leadership, but leadership people can trust. And I think that the uh, breach of trust now by the governor is just fatal. And I, you know, um, somebody told me yesterday and I, maybe you guys know this. I haven't been able to look it up yet because I was in a planning board meeting until my eyes couldn't stay open anymore. Um, but that once articles of impeachment are filed, he, a state law requires his removal. Is that yeah. accurate? I had yeah, not, did that's not correct. know that. Uh, so. Lieutenant governor would, would immediately step in. Kathy Hochul would become yeah. our first, our first female governor, which I find kind of ironic it's considering right. the nature of the allegations uh, that it, that it would take that to, to get the first female governor in New York. But yeah, we, we very well. And, and there's also an irony that, that, um, the one thing even d- detractors of Governor Cuomo would say is that he did provide leadership through um, the pandemic. And so we're still in, you know, in, in, in risk of going into a new phase of the pandemic. Um, how, how quickly how quickly things change. Right. I mean, he was America's governor, the superhero through through covid and um, and, and now he has absolutely no support at all. Because of these, there's a certain amount. There was a certain amount of uh, overconfidence, I think, and and uh, I think that may have caused some of that. I have to, so I saved my best material for this radio show. Um, <laughs> one local politico, um, who I won't name, the observation they offered me was, he's like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. He's the only one who doesn't know he's dead at this point. <laughs> and and I think uh, you know, Brian. One of the things that struck me was how people from both parties almost immediately when Letitia James' very complete report came out, 165 pages, and very well documented and very clearly um, uh, uh, an intense effort, um, you saw even 
his own uh, Democratic colleagues finally abandoning him and, and suggesting that it's time to resign. And locally, uh, that was true of Steve Ballone issued a statement this week. Um, both of the the assembly, the assemblyman Fred Thiel and uh, State Senator Anthony Palumbo both issued calls for his resignation. It's it's really been across the board. Yeah, I uh, I was I, I was a little surprised how quick the president as well went and called for his impeachment. Um, not so much with um, uh, Pelosi, but uh, I was surprised that uh, Biden went so quick. But uh, I think uh, rightly so. And now, didn't you're right. Cuomo was like a star for a while. And I think he did do a good job, but it did go over the top. Didn't he win an Emmy for those? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if that was even I mean, I don't know what the what kind of category he won that Emmy. And, and at this point, it's not really. I don't think pertinent considering the, the, the situation, but, you know, I was talking I think it was for his, his yeah. televised updates, right? That's what it was yeah. for. Yeah. It, was, it was for his press you know, conferences. I, I was talking to, to Bill before we went on the air, and um, there seems to be this, you know, a character defect that I think we all have to greater or lesser degrees, which is kind of like Cuomo's denial of the, you know, the accusations against him and people who don't want the vaccine, there's like this human trait of like, they really think they're right, you know? And that is detrimental to us as a state with a leader who is not, he doesn't see the writing on the wall at all. He, he, you know, I think he truly believes he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, And that's very concerning, just as I think a fair amount of these folks not getting the vaccine think they're doing the right thing. And I think you know, it's easy for me to say to judge somebody else, but I think the evidence on both situations are against them. I mean, it seems to me that he's coming from a place of complete arrogance. I mean, he's got an ego, uh, you know, from here to Montauk and I'm in, you know, Western Riverhead. Like he just, you know, he can't admit that he's wrong. And um, I think that that reminds me of a certain other public official who bore the same trait can't admit that he's wrong about something. So um, I just, you know, I don't know that that's what's motivating people who haven't taken the vaccine. I mean, I have some theories about that, but one thing that worries me going into this winter season or fall season and the cooler weather and people going indoors with the virus surging is that, um, you know, I feel like people, you know, there were a lot of people, disinclined to trust the government about, um, you know, COVID advice and what to do. But in, and in New York in particular, a lot of people were disinclined to trust the governor. But I think that even people who trusted him, uh, you know, learned after the fact that, you know, what he and his staff were doing is, you know, executive leadership team or whatever he calls them, you know, they were they were doing bad things. I mean, they withheld, they manipulated data, they manipulated how they released the data in the whole nursing home scandal. They, um, you know, they withheld data from uh, legislators that had requested it that were looking had an inquiry going on onto what what happened in the nursing homes. And you know, I just feel like the breach of trust occurred. Then we found out about it a couple months later. And like this, I think, is just a fatal blow. And I can't, you know, people are disinclined to trust government today more than ever, I think. And, you know, that won't do us any good fighting a pandemic, you know, like people won't take the advice. Brianne, I'm curious, you know, you're a young journalist, you're of a different generation than the rest of us. And I think about young journalists just getting started um, in, in the business and, This is a time, I mean, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's just constant stuff happening that is major and it's, it's, it's hard to even process it. What's your take on, on the governor and and how quick his downfall came um, after this report came out? Uh, I mean, I wasn't super surprised that everyone turned on him just because, you know, um, like you guys have been saying, there's just been, a lot leading up to this, um, and it's kind of like a fatal blow. Um, but one thing I've been thinking about is, you know, who would run to take his place if he steps down? You know, who's going to run for his position? 
Um, I was thinking yeah. I would. <laughs> yeah. On, on the Democratic side, there's really mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the Republican who's been anointed is our own Congressman Lee Zeldin, um, who I, I suspect feels like he made the right play here. Um, but, I, you know, here's a question I'd like to ask. I, I don't know how all of this has even affected Andrew Cuomo's popularity among voters. If if he were to run again, I mean, I think if he's impeached, if he, this is maybe part of the equation here. And quite honestly, I didn't do the legwork to, to get an answer to this. But if he's impeached, um, I believe it may be like the impeachment of the president where you can you can actually put a, a note in there that says they can't run for office again. But if he steps that's, down, that, that's true. There would be there would be two two decisions if it goes to trial in the in the state Senate as to whether he's guilty of the charges and, and be removed from office and then whether he could run again for office again. It would be two separate things like it was for um, for the presidential impeachment. So that's correct. But but I could see a strategy by Andrew Cuomo at this point, who I think really just wants to hold on to power. I think that fourth term means a lot to him that he might step down and then run for reelection. And I'm not sure he wouldn't win. Oh, I don't know. I mean, That's I a- just there, there are some polls that show his popularity with New Yorkers is not super high right now. Like uh, The Hill just published an article yesterday, I think, that said 63 percent of New York voters say Cuomo should resign. Um, so that doesn't bode well for his popularity and his uh, luck in a new election. And yeah, yet I don't know I don't that there's he- a dem- there's not really a Democrat in the wings. Right. There's nobody sort of ready to run again, except for Kathy Hochul, who is the the uh, lieutenant governor, would be the obvious choice. But nobody's well, really- unless, the, unless the attorney general, who um, seems to be pretty popular through all of this, um, decided to run as well. I'm just that curious. That would be a bad look, though, wouldn't it? Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. And, and Cuomo said that. I mean, he's brought. They're that accusing up. her of that. Yeah. Yeah, he's accused her of 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 that being her motivation. But I'm sorry, Bill. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 that's fine. I'm just wondering what this does for for Lee Zeldin, who you know, who is who's and was mentioned the other day in the newsroom. You know, he's based his entire campaign on bashing Cuomo, and so if Cuomo is gone. Then then, you know, then he's got to start talking about some issues, maybe, which he hasn't done so far. And so far, it's been just pretty much, you know, get rid of Cuomo and replace Cuomo and, you know, and, and, and elect me. So if Cuomo has gone, then what you know, where does this campaign go from there? He's rewriting his campaign playbook right now. It's got to be right. <laughs> Do any of us think Lee Zeldin has a legitimate chance? I mean, he's not George Pataki. George Pataki was the last. Um, Republican governor of New York and Lee Zeldin's very significantly to the right of George Pataki. And and I, I just have to think that his chances of winning the governorship against any opponent on the Democratic side are, are fairly slim. Do we do, does anybody disagree with that? No, I think I, he's, I don't he, see a way for him to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think he's put all his chips in being behind Trump being, you know, anti-mask. I, th- I think you're right, Joe. I, d- I don't see it happening for Zeldin. And it looks like since he made this early move, he's going to be the Republican candidate to go against. I don't see it happening. My thought was, do you think someone like a Mike Bloomberg would come out of the shadows or some big, big name and would step up to save Andrew, us? Andrew Yang. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Somebody somebody with real juice and money from day one would come up. A friend of mine mentioned Swazi, and I don't know if Swazi's got the juice, you know, but whatever. You know, it's a tough thing. I think I've always heard, too, that Steve Ballone, our county executive, had uh, an interest in running for governor at some point. So this may open, Brianne, you, I think you're, you know, this may open the floodgates. We may see a, a whole bunch of Democratic candidates um, step into the void here, but it's such a weird time, isn't it? And just um, waiting to see if the other shoe drops um, with the governor. What's Brian? Do you think is there any chance you think the governor resigns? I mean, that's a good question. I think you guys were talking before about how he doesn't. He he's denying these claims. You know, he's not really acknowledging that maybe he made a mistake. Uh, I can't. I personally don't see him stepping down. Unless uh, the the heat gets a bit hotter, you know, I, 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 the heat's pretty hot, and I, I think that 
I, I think there's a possibility. And, and if it happens, it's going to happen quick. It's going to happen with a with an announcement on a on a Monday morning. You know, maybe I, I think he's still trying to weigh his options. I think the heat's pretty hot. Um, and, and I think he's just going to he's going to stand firm um, up into up into that point. There's a possibility that he won't. But why would he face impeachment if, if he knows where that's going? I mean, I, I mean, it's pretty obvious that um, that, uh, the, you know, that if they do file the impeachment, that, that he's he's pretty much going to going to be removed from office. He's got to weigh that. Which do you want? Do you want to be removed from office or do you want to step down? Which, which gives you a better face, which gives you a better future? Unless he thinks yep. he can def- he can prevail at the impeachment trial. Maybe. I mean, which seems getting, unlikely. You know, email. I, yeah, but the evidence seems very yeah. strong against him. And I read a, a news report the two, other day. Two presidential said, impeachments. The evidence seemed pretty strong too, didn't it? <laughs> except that I don't know that he has the the political forces aligned behind him yeah. in the same way. So I read a news report the other day that said that Andrew Cuomo does not have. Uh, he's, he lives in the uh, governor's mansion. He doesn't have another property at the moment. So um, he's he not come out, come out here and live with his brother. He would have to move out. to and That's the East End connection. Maybe he'd move in with Chris Cuomo, who lives out out this way. So uh, I think after the back, book deal, he could afford to buy a house. <laughs> back, to, back to the previous point. I read an article yesterday that was talking about, I mean, the politics of of, of impeachment and the Democrats would want to would only want to go to impeachment if if they could have the Democratic majority, if they could impeach him, you know, solely on Democratic votes and if they could convict him in the Senate solely on Democratic votes. And then that becomes um, because that's how the Democratic Party works in, in New York state. That becomes a trickier game of numbers. They might not have the numbers to to actually convict him in the Senate. So to Denise's point, you know, maybe he thinks he could escape it. Fascinating stuff. Uh, it's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Uh, with us today, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Brian Cosgrove from right here at WLIWFM, and Brianne Letta, who is a staff writer at the Times uh, Review Media Group. Um, so let's slide into. We started to talk a little bit about. The politic, politic. Oh, here we go. Politic. <laughs> I can't. I don't think I can say that word. Bill, this is like. What is it with you? Doc documentary. You can't say documentary, right? I, I don't think now. I can say. I can say politicization. He's been practicing. <laughs> politicization of the COVID vaccine. Um, it's. It, it has been striking that we have hit the wall with vaccinations and that it does seem so there's two things at play here and we've sort of touched on on each of them so far one is that it has been politicized it's you know it's become very much split democrats and republicans uh the the vaccination numbers are, are just striking but it's also about individuals um and a, and a lack of trust and I'll, I'll throw in a plug here that we're actually planning to do a, a special express sessions event virtually this coming Thursday, the 12th at 10 a.m., and it's called Getting the Facts on the COVID Vaccine. And the whole point of it is to bring together a medical panel and some local um, uh, leaders in the community and talk about the vaccine in, in, a, in a way that's supposed to be fact-based and to try and answer questions. Because, you know, the new narrative is that a lot of the people who are not getting vaccines uh, they're not anti-vaxxers. They're just people with questions uh, that that are nagging them and, and, and are keeping them from getting vaccinated. And so we're hoping that we can try and answer those questions. But Brian, I, I think you touched on it. I, I don't know that we're going to be able to answer questions from there's a certain portion of the public that is adamantly opposed to getting a vaccine. And I don't think we can throw enough facts at them to change their minds. What do you think? Yeah, I, there's, there seems to be where they, they kind of leaped over looking at the information and just it seems to be an argument of don't tell me what to do. That's what seems to, you know, a fair amount of folks. And I could be wrong and I hope I am, but they just, you know, their civil liberties, <clears throat> pardon me, are being uh, violated. And um, you just can't win against that. And I think there's a certain amount of uh, 
there's a, there's a certain group, as we all know, from the last administration that are dug in very deep about that. I mean, the previous president won't even come out and say he got vaccinated. He did it in secret, supposedly, just before he left office. Um, so I, I don't get it. What, I, don't, what, I don't get that mindset. What, you know? what, what's a stronger word for skepticism? Because it, it's it's more than skepticism. It's Denial. And I think that was the word Brian used earlier. I mean, we're at a point where whatever facts you throw at some people, whatever science you throw at some people, they're just not going to believe it's true. And and that's a a mark of of society today. I think there are certain people that I mean, and and this goes back, you know, a a few years, perhaps. But it's just, you know, I don't believe the science. I don't I don't believe that what you're telling me is true. It's a hoax. It's myths. It's you know, you can't prove it to somebody. How do you how do you prove science if, if people aren't believing in science? Part of what's well, striking, too, I was going to say, Denise, you and I talked earlier in the week uh, about you, you recently um, did a piece about vaccines and got some feedback. Um, and that feedback, you know, we did a we're doing a poll in preparation for our event and the hostility that you get back um, Mm -hmm. around the topic of vaccines is just stunning, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. I I wrote a column um, that I published on Monday, which was more really about masks than vaccines, um, although I didn't mention vaccines. But, um, you know, my my column said that, you know, I said in my column, and my opinion is that I, I think the CDC blew it when they lifted the mask mandate in May. Um, at that point in time, according to the New York Times, uh, they did a survey of, I forget how many uh, epidemiologists who, who said that they expected that we would need to continue to wear masks for an, a full year from, from then. And um, then like the, a couple of days later, the CDC lifted the mask mandate. And I just feel like there's really uh, either no going back or it's a rough road to go back uh, at this point. And unfortunately, uh, it's really necessary. I mean, they they issued that guidance and then it was kind of roundly ignored by, um, you know, a lot of government entities, including, you know, Suffolk County. We have no uh, plan to issue a mask mandate. Uh, I, you know, I mean, was the statement that we got from from the county. Um, you know, people don't want to go back. And the mask is like it's like the civil liberties thing that Brian uh, mentioned before. Um, it's become uh, also politicized, you know, wearing a mask. Uh, you know, I, yesterday I walked into the Riverhead Town Hall and um, the supervisor announced uh, that on Tuesday that masks w- w- will be worn in town hall, that masks will be required, vaccinated or not. And um, so I walked in and the supervisor and one council person were the only ones wearing masks and the other two council people were not. And like nobody in the room uh, had a mask on. And I sort of commented on that loudly to someone as I was walking in. And um, the um, then the deputy supervisor said, does anybody need a mask? You know, we have them. And the next time I turned around, because I sat in the front row, I turned around. Everybody was wearing a <laughs> blue disposal mask. Good for um, you, Denise. Because they knew yeah. I was going to take a picture of them. But I mean, you know, it's like it's like a thing where, you know, Republicans don't wear masks. I just don't get that. Like, I really just don't get it. And for me, there's plenty of reason to wear a mask. Um, you know, if if I could do anything to protect a child from getting sick and more and more children are getting sick and some seriously ill, look at what's going on in Florida, you know, um, or to prevent someone from, you know, if I have this and I don't know it, cause that's what happens now with the, you know, I'm fully vaccinated, but if you get it, you may not even know you have it. And then you spread it to someone who is immunocompromised or unvaccinated because they're not eligible for a vaccine because they're under 12, let's say, or, you know, or they just didn't get it for whatever reason, you know, I don't want that on my head. People are getting sick. And I just think that it's just plain dumb to like say, I'm not going to wear a mask because you're, you know, violating my civil rights. I'm wrapping myself in the Gaston flag and, you know, don't tread on me. You know, I think that's a lot of baloney. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it would be very interesting to see what kind of reaction we'd get if the previous president came out and said, get vaccinated. And I was watching an interview on the news uh, last night with um, Frank Lutz, 
who I think is a, a tremendous pollster, and he's a Republican pollster, as you guys know. And he was he brought up the idea that uh, the previous president should go to the White House with Biden and get together. And, you know, the commentator was like, you know, that's never going to happen. The guy didn't even show up, you know, at the inauguration to admit that he lost. But the fact is, is that if the previous president, I would like to see the reaction. A lot of folks I know have been saying, I don't care what he says, I'm still not going to get vaccinated. But I think there would be a substantial amount of folks who would get vaccinated if some of these folks would step up. And he's vaccinated. And some of these other, from what I understand, some other high profile conservative uh, news folks have been vaccinated. And they're still saying they're still being anti-vaccinated. You know, they're still mm-hmm. preaching that. So I think if, if they would soften a little bit and uh, I would like to see what would happen. But I don't. But it, it. It's interesting because some have. I know Sean Hannity changed his his tune about it a bit, and and has become a little more pro vaccine. Um, Brianne, I you know being out in the uh, being out in the. Go ahead, Bill. I was just going to say. I mean, we're we're talking about this, but since since the Delta has taken off a little bit, vaccination numbers are picking up yeah. a little bit, right? And and we had somebody in the newsroom talking about a family member who had been refusing to, to get a vaccine, but all of a sudden, as the Delta numbers started spiking, that family member finally went and got a vaccine. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that it takes this this way are we on the what the third or fourth spike it takes this latest spike to to get people to rethink that but maybe people are um seeing those numbers especially down you know down south um and and maybe some of those vaccine numbers will come up especially if you get a hundred bucks for doing it i hear that that's really a successful motivation. i'm okay with that i'm okay I'm with, okay with that but i kind of want my hundred bucks now you know i went early <laughs> but i, I think that hundred bucks I think one of the, you know, one of the things that, by the way, I think FDA approval is going to be a big part of it, too. I think when when the FDA approves the vaccine, finally, there will be a number of people who will get the vaccine at that point. I think that is that is that is a a number that's out there. But I got to tell you, I think one of the problems has been, you know, when you talk about things like cash payments and incentives to go get the vaccine, it focuses on the only conversation we're having is how does it affect me? Yeah. You know, how does this vaccine affect me? It's not about how it affects the community. And I think that's kind of um, uh, it's it's alarming to me that we've sort of given up on that. Brianne, I started to ask, I've been out in the community a little bit and I've noticed that people are masking again. I'm fully vaccinated. I've started wearing my mask again at the grocery stores. Uh, when I go into Starbucks, I'm, I'm wearing the mask and call it virtue signaling. That's fine. Maybe that is what it is. Um, but I think it's also just an extra level of cautiousness. What are you seeing out there? Are you, what are you noticing in the last uh, week or so? Uh, are people changing? Are they, are they going back to being careful from, from your observations? I mean, I noticed um, for a while that people just haven't been wearing masks. I, like I'll go into the store and um, no, nobody's wearing a mask. And I started wearing my mask again recently just because Delta's going up. A family member just got sick with COVID. So, uh-huh. you know, I'm like, want to be more cautious, you know, because even if you are vaccinated, it, there's still a potential risk. And then you also carry the risk of, you know, potentially spreading it to other people. Um, but I have not really seen a lot of people going back to the masks. Um, and I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a bit of a mindset that the pandemic is over. And I feel like people started thinking that way once, you know, the vaccine started and the max ma- mandate started lifting, but you know, it, it never stopped. Case, like there were still cases, there was still infections spreading through the community and especially people aren't getting vaccinated. Those numbers aren't going to drop. The pandemic is not going to end until we reach herd immunity at least. So and that seems to be really, really elusive at this mm-hmm. point. And um, and uh, the scary thing to me is par- parts of the country may get there, but there are going to be pockets of the country that just won't. And, and as long as this virus has bodies to infect, you're going to have a greater chance uh, that you'll see an epsilon variant that may be even more dangerous and and you know who knows what 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 that'll bring it's it's a scary time and and i'm you know i'm not sure what the answer is but i wonder if more mandates is not the answer it doesn't seem i I don't know should we force people to get the vaccine should we force people to wear masks is that something are we to the point where the public health crisis 
is bad enough that whatever the politics and however that plays into the hands of the critics, um, have we reached a point where it's it's dangerous enough that we need some mandates? Yeah, I would like to answer that, actually, because I think that there's an in-between place. You know, I, I think you make a good point about, you know, the more the virus circulates, the more it's going to mutate. And, it, you know, the, the most efficient, successful virus is going to become pre- variant is going to become prevalent. Right. I mean, that's what's happened every time so far. That's what happens with these things. And. It's foolhardy also for us to think, just think about this in terms of sections of our country or this, our country. Look at the whole world. I mean, look at all the unvaccinated people in the world and we're yeah. all, we all share the world. And you know, sooner or later, what happens in other parts of the world are, are gonna be here. I mean, and so you know, it's happening in South America with a, a scary new variant and uh, it's gonna happen the more it circulates. So getting the, the con- whole world the continent- vaccinated. The continent of Africa, I believe they said 1% of the population is at this point. So, I mean, we can't, you know, we're not living in a, under a bubble. But I think that the in-between step is that, you know, the idea that there has to be, you know, if you if you are insisting on not getting vaccinated and not wearing a mask, uh, you know, kind of like, okay, well, that's your problem. But, you know, you're not coming into these places. You're not coming into public buildings. You're not going to come into restaurants. You're not. I think that's the only thing that's going to provide a real incentive for people. Like when they lifted the mask mandate and everybody could go, you know, everybody took off their mask, vaccinated or not, against the guidance. Because, you know, if you only have 50 percent of the people vaccinated like we do around here and, you know, every 100 percent of the people weren't wearing masks after the mandate was lifted. You know, what's the incentive? So. You know, having having to present, I don't I, I that's another, I think, red herring, you know, issue, political issue that you're it's an infringement on my liberty to have to show proof of vaccination to you to get into your place of business. No, it's not. I, I, you know, I, I agree with I agree public with public health. I agree with Denise. I, I think that the trend that we're seeing now is probably is probably what what you're going to see where. Um, you know, where, where the president has has demanded that federal certain federal employees um, get vaccinated, where you're seeing some private companies come in and demand vaccinations for employments, fighting the unions, I guess you got to get the unions on board. But I think maybe that's the better way to address it than some universal federal vaccine mandate that that I think would just, you know, create such havoc from from the people on on the anti side. That, that you do that. And, and as Denise said, it, you know, if people want to go to a restaurant, then that restaurant should have a policy vaccinated only. If you want to go shop at a grocery store, maybe they have a, a vaccine only, um, you know, mandate, you know, privately and, and their employees, any any public facing employee should be should be vaccinated as the masks go. I think that's a little it's a little it's a little clear. There, there was a so there was a. Uh, New York Times ran an editorial, and one of the points they made is is that the CDC, um, when they lifted the mask mandate, that that perhaps the language of it was was the problem. That the language of of it was this was a permanent thing. That were you know you can take your masks off for forever without without the the possibility of us putting them back on. I think it's time to put them back on, at least for a little while. I don't know where that mandate comes from, though. I don't know. Is it, can it be a county mandate? Does it need to be a state mandate? <clears throat> with with that, with the you know, the you know the the situation in Albany right now, I don't know that the governor would <laughs> would be supported in, in in that or whatever. But but you know, the point to that too is all those emergency uh, declarations have all expired and, and been lifted. So any kind of mandate that you're going to get from the county or the state um, or from any you know any government is is going to have to be legislation that's debated and approved. And, and I think given the political situation, I, I don't know that that could happen. So maybe that becomes a private thing too. Stop and Shop says you got to wear a mask again if you're coming in. Walmart says you got to wear a mask. Um, Burger King says if you're going to come in, you got to wear a mask till you sit down or whatever. I think it, it becomes a private endeavor at this point. I, I, the, the, the scary part to me is I think that it becomes an individual choice and individuals have to be convinced that it's the right thing to do. And, and we're just not there yet. And Brianne, I think you really touched on it. There was a moment where I feel, I think we all felt like, well, it's over. Yo, it's yeah. mission accomplished. We got there. And I can tell you that since 
I was vaccinated this spring, I mean, I felt, I felt uh, powerful. I felt completely protected. It's important to stress that breakthrough cases are still rare. They don't happen very often, but I don't think any of us who are vaccinated feels a hundred percent safe anymore. And, and maybe that's good. Maybe we need yeah. that. And I, I think there needs to be some awareness about the effects of long COVID too, because I think I read an article um, recently and I had to check, I could check that, but um, about the potential for like, you know, even breakthrough cases among uh, vaccinated people, if they're symptomatic, like could potentially lead to long COVID and, you know, like there, there's some scary side effects from that. It's like, isn't the government considering it, uh, considering offering disability benefits for people with long COVID? I hadn't heard that, but I, I know that long COVID is one of, the, one, of, one of the things we need to talk more about because um, even people who've been vaccinated and get breakthrough cases, that's a risk for them as well. And I worry about young people, um, people in their 20s who have been vaccinated at a lower rate because they felt that they weren't at risk. And, and the people who are being hospitalized and people who are dying in some of the, the states where it's, where it's out of control are people in their 20s and 30s. It's, yeah. it's uh it's a scary time. Um, I, I was I was pretty, you know, I was pretty militant about not wearing my mask again, um, you know, the last couple of weeks, because it, it, it again, it felt like we had won the war back when when all the restrictions were lifted. And I'm like, OK, I'm vaccinated. I'm safe or whatever. But it's just so scary now, the stuff you're reading about these breakthroughs and, and about the possibility of, I think Brianna said it, of, of passing it on to, to somebody else. And, you know, so I'm wearing my mask again now. I was I was like, I'm not going to put it back on. I was kind of like that for a while. And, and now I'm wearing it. And, um, you know, I went to Stop and Shop yesterday in, in, in Riverhead and probably 80 percent of people were wearing masks. And, and that's a marked increase. I will note, though, that there were people not wearing masks who were giving me Maybe it was my perception, but we're, we're giving me looks like, you know, you don't need to wear that type of thing or, or just that that whole militant. Um, I'm not going to wear my mask thing. And, and so that way I thought well, it was a little interesting. Yeah. And I would like to clarify um, it's researchers are still studying whether um, you can get long COVID after if you get affected after vaccination. So that's it's a, it's a concern. Definitely. Yeah. I think they're, they're, they're paying closer attention to it. And I think we should all think of uh, Provincetown and the outbreak there as a cautionary tale. It shows that, that this is not, whole. you know, one of the things that, that I think we've learned through this is a pandemic. There, there are no absolutes in a pandemic. There's a lot of things that nothing is a hundred percent and every little thing that you do or don't do, I think has an effect on it. And we should keep in mind that we still remain um, in fairly good shape, um, both in New York State and on the East End. And I think that helps. But um, before we leave the topic, Denise, I want to touch real briefly on something we talked about that that um, the way the media is catching a lot of the flack for yeah. reminding people and, and delivering these kinds of messages. You, you got some really nasty uh, replies in response to your column this week, right? I, I sure did. And I, I mean... I, I I should say that I was a lot more measured and I mean, I wasn't like a, a raving lunatic like I have been here this morning um, <laughs> but about this issue. But I was purposely very measured about it. And I cited a lot of you know numbers and data and where we are today, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, trying to just lay, make the case for people to put your mask back on. It's not going to kill you, but not wearing it could kill someone else. Like doesn't, I don't see how that doesn't bother people, but anyway. Um, and yeah, it just, you know, I mean, we still have comments on our website and the comments on our website are unfailingly almost um, less toxic than the comments on Facebook. I mean, I feel like we have a lot of people who follow our Facebook page who are not necessarily, you know, from here and just like zoom in and, and oh, pardon the expression, but like, you know, swoop in and, and uh, you know, comment on certain topics because things get, you know, they take on a life. And um, so there were just a lot of nasty things. And um, the one that really uh, struck me and um, my, uh, my daughter who, um, who works with us found it so disturbing. She actually banned the person from our page, which uh, it's not something we generally do, but 
Um, this seems like it was like some kind of a fake profile troll, I think, but um, they posted this, um, um, I don't know, image that had words on it. Is that a, is that a meme? <laughs> I get confused, but um, so that said something like, you know, during the Nuremberg trials, um, even the media were prosecuted and sentenced to death for, for uh, lying to the public. And this was just like posted there and this like, and I'm like, you know, the suggestion, obviously, uh, you know, that I'm lying and that this is what my fate should be. Um, and then another person posted how, you know, it's time that we ban these news sites for, you know, saying this thing, these kinds of things. Don't, don't trust the, don't trust the media and don't trust the government, you know? And I, and I mean, I just, it's like, and all that sort of thing. Those were the two highlights. Honestly, I looked at the comments on Facebook once that afternoon and I haven't looked back because I, I don't want to see it. I mean, the rhetoric um, is is alarming. There's no question. I, and Well, I feel like the rhetoric of our elected officials, they, they I feel like they need to really think about the effect that their words have on people like like all of us here, because, you know, we get this stuff all the time. Like, I, you know, anytime we print a story about something that people don't want to hear about, uh, pick a topic, you know, that's the kind of pushback that we get. And, um, you know, it's not even pushback, but that's just the kind of re response that we get. And um, sometimes it just, I don't know about you guys, but it gets to me sometimes, you know, it's just sure. like, you know, I mean, this is not, sadly, this isn't, I've had this other death threats, <laughs> more, more specific ones actually, but um, you know, it's just, um, it's the, I was just writing an opinion piece and saying, you know, here's why I think you should wear a mask now. And um, I, I, and I don't know, it just seems really uncalled for to react that way. And then when you have, you know, people in elected office who are saying kind of like similar kinds of things about the Democrats and the scientists and the media and, you know, and um, I mean, they don't, necessarily say that they should be put to death but um you know they the rhetoric is really heated so. i feel like it's almost cartoon rhetoric that that the political climate is such that people people the more extreme you can you can say things the better and i think most people um do that in a void so they don't there's there's no there's no real repercussions for it as local journalists what i have often found is that if you reach out to the people who who say those things in kind of a knee-jerk way you can dig down and find out that there's actually a human being under there and, and that that stuff that stuff is is more uh it, it's it's almost meaningless it's just jargon that gets thrown around now but but as you say denise we're human beings we, we and and on a local level we take that stuff seriously and we take it personally we really do and and uh that's a point not to be ignored i think um, and we're here and we're here because we feel an obligation to present the news to 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 the public i mean it's not about you know we're none of us are getting rich doing this this is about you know, a, a love for for journalism and presenting the facts as that we can as we understand them or even opinions that based on fact that we understand them. And I think when you get that kind of response, it's just it's just really uh, horrifying. I also, you know, I also feel like uh, I feel a responsibility to um, um, try to get through to people with facts about this sure. particular issue that they might not be. He, or that they are not, let me just not qualify it, that they're not getting from their, their usual preferred news sources, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a big problem. I mean, the power of the propaganda machine that's on yeah. the other side of this issue. It's crazy that there's a side to this issue, but that's, that I think is a fact. And um, speaking of facts, I would just like to fact check that meme uh, about the Nuremberg trials. I mean, that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I, I was like, I don't think that was true. So I look, you know, I, I researched it and no, there were after Nuremberg trials, 10 people were put to death. They were hanged. They were doctors and, and Nazi generals and leaders of the, you know, and um, breaking news, a meme from the internet is incorrect. Yeah. And, and in <laughs> yeah. fact, this is, has been circulating this, this summer 
It wasn't, they weren't doctors. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm fact checking and correct. They were the leaders of the Nazi organizations. But a meme uh, circulating this summer, this thing has been going around that journalists and doctors were executed because of what they did in Nazi Germany. Yeah, it's really, um, as journalists, it's yes. really alarming to, to, to hear that kind of rhetoric. No question. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIW. FM and I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Uh, that was Denise Civiletti. She's from Riverhead Local. We also have Brian Cosgrove from WLIWFM and Brianne Letta from the Times Review Media Group. Um, Brianne, if we can slide into some local stuff, um, and it's sort of COVID related. In Greenport, they started to see an attempt to at least return to normalcy uh, at one facility there, right? And you wrote about that this week. Yes. So Mitchell Park, which is the um, the park in Greenport, uh, is starting to bring back events this summer. So normally they have dances in the park on like Mondays in the summer. Uh, they just had their first dances in the park since the outbreak of the pandemic uh, this past Monday. And we're going to see a return of Shakespeare in the park uh, later this month. Um, which was also canceled last year due to the pandemic in person anyway. Um, so there are events like that starting to return um, in person in the park. And I, and I think we're all really happy to see those events starting again. And I think outdoor activities this summer generally are, uh, are fairly safe. And, and, and it, it, it does give us sort of a sense of normalcy here in the summertime. I'm not sure what we're going to do in the fall when it starts to get cold again. Um, we're going to, uh, we're going to have a, a real culture shock, I think, for, for a while this fall. I think we were all hoping we'd be through it by then. Uh, but it looks like it's going to hang around. Um, Brian, we were talking, you know, one of our topics, you and I are always talking about affordable housing um, mm -hmm. and the lack here on the on the East End. Um, and that's, of course, a giant problem. Um, but Sag Harbor Village, uh, Mayor Jim LaRocca looks like he's going to try and tackle that at least uh, on the local level uh, and at least have a conversation about it. Yeah, I, I, I really have to commend him for doing that. It's, you know, I've been, I, I'm from, as they say, up the island. I moved out here um, in 97. And I would say that from 97 to 2017, that chunk of 20 years, you know, how we've seen affordable housing become less and less and less in that 20 year period. I think since the pandemic hit, it's in, within the 18 months, affordable housing is completely off the table. Like, I don't mean to be uh, a pessimist about it, but it seems almost impossible right now, you know, with, you know, real estate equity, I don't know, 30, 40, 50%, all these folks coming out here because of the pandemic. And I think it's commendable that the new mayor of Sag Harbor is going to try uh, to get affordable housing, especially in Sag Harbor, which seems to me has surpassed Montauk as the place to be these days on the East End. So, you know, I get news feeds like we all do on my phone, and I got something from the Times in the UK that's talking about, you know, the millionaires feel dwarfed by the billionaires out here. <laughs> and, you know, that's news at the, in the UK. Now, I know the UK papers are somewhat more tabloidish, and I know that the Hamptons are, you know, prime to, you know, get sensationalism in any uh, headline just for fun. But it's really taken a turn. And I think all you guys have seen in the last 18 months, again, I think this thing has jumped almost, if not more than the last 20 years, as far as affordability out here. So I, I hope there's a solution. I don't know if there is staffing. I mean, you guys know the whole ball of wax that's going on here. Folks have to close their restaurants for a couple of days. They can't staff all other businesses. It's really getting crazy. Does it make me a bad person if I don't feel sorry for the millionaires being dwarfed by the billionaire? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay. It does not. I, I think we can say we can say that that does not. Um, the thing about Sag Harbor, Bill, we've we've talked about this that Sag Harbor um, instituted an affordable housing fund some years ago. But what I've always found ironic is they did that so that people wouldn't have to actually build. Right. affordable housing in the village. They could just contribute to this fund. And this fund is just sitting there. I believe the only project they ever funded was actually outside of the, the borders of Sag Harbor Village. And so it, it's, it's a nice idea, but nothing actually comes from it. 
<laughs> I, I, I admire I admire the mayor for setting up this new committee to look at affordable housing. I think that affordable housing, though, in small villages um, by small village governments is very difficult. So it's going to be an mm. upward climb. And hopefully they can come up with with some ideas. I don't think there's probably a lot of open space to be building um, to be building affordable housing units. So I don't know what what shape or form it takes. Maybe it's um, you know accessory apartment type stuff, or or you can come up with some help to first time home buyers that type of thing. But but when a when a home in, in Sag Harbor is going for you know. You know, I don't I don't think I don't know how many homes there are under a million dollars in Sag Harbor. So I don't think first time homeowners are are moving there. But but I give him a lot of credit. And and I think, you know, again, there it's going to be a it's going to be a tough battle. But maybe they can come up with some unique ideas that that people in other areas haven't haven't thought of before. Yeah, good luck to him. Um, Brian, we have, we have a couple of minutes left and I want to end on a high note, which is that the uh, you wrote an article this week that healthcare heroes got a little bit of a tip of the hat this week, right? Yes. So a couple who uh, served as healthcare workers during the pandemic won a free wedding at Recknack Hall. They won an, a tent from New York Tent and dozens of vendors donated their services to this couple for their wedding. Um, and it was absolutely beautiful. I saw some pictures um, that we posted in the article online, uh, but that was some some nice news to write in the week, I thought. And where, where was that? Brecknock Hall uh, okay. in Greenport. It's really nice to see good things happen to good people, especially in, mm-hmm. in the current climate. Um, I'm sure they were two people who just over the last year and a half, their lives were turned upside down. So oh, yes. um, there is some good news out there. It's it's fun to report good news in the midst of, of all this turmoil. There's so much going on this summer. Um, uh, let's hope it starts to uh, settle down a little bit at some point, but there's showing no signs of that so far. So we live in interesting times. That may not be the best thing in the world, is it? <laughs> Uh, this was behind the headlines and uh, very uh, vigorous conversation, I think, this week. Uh, I want to thank our panelists, uh, Brian Letta from the Times Review Media Group. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. You Thanks made your debut. Me. We'll have you back. Hope you'll come back. Uh, Denise Civiletti, as always, been a pleasure. Good to have you. Thank you. And Brian Cosgrove, uh, we're on your turf. Thank you for sharing your turf with us for, for a little bit here. You're always a, a big proponent of the show on your very popular show on WLAW. We very much appreciate it. Well, you guys do a great job. All the journalists out here are tremendous. So thanks. Thanks for having I'm me. Good to have you, Brian, Brian, you're having a you're having a special guest on your show coming up, right? Oh, yeah. On, on this Wednesday, <laughs> the 11th, um, uh, Alec Baldwin is going to come in and be my co-host again. And he's going to pick the music and uh, we're just going to have fun. We always have a great time. He's been a great supporter of the radio station in so many places out here on the East End, uh, both with his time and other resources. So Alec Baldwin, this Wednesday, starting at one o'clock, again, he'll pick the music and we'll just have some fun. That's always oh, fun you're when he's su- on. You're such a name dropper. <laughs> I know. Just, just <laughs> awful. He lets me hitch my wagon to his store and I appreciate I it. I will absolutely tune in yes. and listen to that. Uh, and thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton. As always, Bill, thanks. Always a pleasure. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw from the Express News Group. This was Behind the Headlines. We'll be back next week with another conversation here on WLIWFM.